bet you thought God was talking to you just then, didn't you? Not me, but God. We have another daughter, and we're so thankful. I'm telling you. What a beautiful, beautiful wedding in Springfield, Missouri, this last Saturday, and uh, we're just so thrilled. And when uh, we're not as rushed on Sunday, I'll tell you a little more about it and show you a couple of pictures as well. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight and let's pray. Is the sound good out there now? That, that sounds good? Well, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place tonight. I couldn't agree more with a song. And Lord, it's not just the title of a message tonight, but it's what we want. That, Lord, you would fall in this place and you would consume us. So we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, tonight, guide us and lead us, empower us, energize us, pour out your Spirit upon us, O oh Lord. Do the work that only you can do when you come and, Lord, you set the captive free. Lord, those that have been bound by sin and destructive habits, sinful patterns that they can't seem to break, they can't ever seem to get over with, we ask you to come and break that tonight. We ask you to come, Holy Spirit of God, and ignite in us a heart of passion and love for you. We pray, Lord, for that work of your Holy Spirit that heals marriages. God, that turns the hearts of children to their parents and the hearts of parents to their children. For all that's been broken and seeming that can never be repaired, God, you can repair better than you anything that's been broken. And you can make a life brand new and whole again. And so as we consider, continue this study, O oh Lord, where Jesus said, it's better for you and that is so hard for me to wrap my head around. It's better for you that I go away because if I don't go away, then the Comforter, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit can't come. So tonight I pray that you'll help us to realize that this truly is a, a better time, a better age for us to live in, Lord. When your Holy Spirit is poured out upon us and you live in us and through us, so I pray tonight, open our hearts and minds to the things in the Scripture like we've never seen them before. And God, would you begin to do this tonight? Pour out your Spirit upon us. Have your way, Lord. Do what you want to do. You're in charge here. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. You know, as I read my New Testament and I study the book of Acts, one of the things that always kind of just gets me is, is that spirit of love and that spirit of generosity, that spirit of power, and that spirit of unity that you read about in the early church 2,000 years ago. It's that spirit, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that from time to time I've experienced with people and I've seen what God has done. And tonight I want to talk to you about that consuming fire as we continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the fact that 
God uses different symbols for the Holy Spirit. He's oil. We've talked about the fact before that oil is the healing, comforting power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about wine as being the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about water. You can't live without water. And tonight I want to look at another aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. But before I do, I want to talk to you about three kinds of believers. One is what I call works believers. And these are people who work really hard to be holy. These are people that work really hard to to be godly. There's something about them that they never really understand the full effect and full impact of grace. They're the people that try to pray longer today than they did yesterday. They're the people that try to study more Bible chapters today than they did yesterday. They're the people that try to witness more than they did yesterday because there's something inside of them that they feel like that the only way they can be pleasing to God is to work harder and harder and harder. And rather than serving the Lord becoming a, a relaxed and an easy way of living, it becomes a very much of a legalistic and a works way. One of their favorite verses of Scripture, because it's just based upon sheer human willpower, according to them, is, is found in Leviticus 11.44. I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate, your, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. They, they see those words. They jump out at them in boxcar-sized letters. Be holy. You be holy because I am holy. And in their minds, they're thinking, well, God is holy, so I've got to work hard to be holy. And they never recognize the work of the Holy Spirit that God has made us holy already. God has set us apart to himself. And that whole aspect of holiness is that we've been set apart for God. I have been set apart for Becky. As far as the rest of the world goes and any sort of of, 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 of male-female relationship, I am holy unto Becky. She is holy unto me. We've been set apart for one another and God has set us apart for himself. When I was a teenager, we had a youth ministry in our church called Christ Ambassadors. Anybody ever heard of that? Anybody know? All right, there's three other people in here beside myself. What was our song we sang? We are, help me, Christ Ambassadors. Remember that song? And we would sing that with all the gusto that we could muster. And every week we had to fill out this little form. How long had we prayed each day? How many Bible chapters had we read that week? How much did we give that week? Did we give to speed the light that week? Who did we witness to? Were we in Sunday school? Were we in church? Were we in Wednesday night service? And it bred this, this spirit of smugness among us because whoever had the most Bible chapters they were the most spiritual. I cheated. I read all the short psalms every week so I could get more Bible chapters in there. And I can remember in Sunday school, we had these little charts upon the wall. They had your name upon it. And by your name, you got these little stars according to how many verses that you memorized that week. You got these little gold stars by how many times you attended that quarter. And if you were really, really good, you got this gold-plated little disciple charm that no self-respecting boy would ever wear because it looked like it belonged on a girl's charm bracelet and we take them home and give them to our sisters or our mothers. But they bred this spirit of Phariseeism in us. Their, their motive was good. What they were trying to do was good. They were trying to teach us how to memorize the Bible, but it bred this works-ordered righteousness in us that eventually got tiresome, that eventually just 
wore us out because it, it chokes out the love of God. It chokes out the love of worship because each week you're trying to do better because if you don't, you're not going to get that star. You're not going to get that little gold-plated disciple that you really didn't want, but you wanted to be better than everybody else. And that's what it bred in us is this desire to be better and it just kind of killed love off in us. And then there's another approach to living for Jesus and that's the I'm really no good believers. You know, these are the kind of people that walk around and you've met them and I met them and they go, I'm not worthy. And I go, I know, <laughs> you know, none of us are really worthy. You know, they're the kind of folks that I'm no good, I'll never be any good. And, and, and we all know that none of us deserve the cross, amen? None of us deserve what God has done for us. None of us deserve the blood of Jesus. We all know that. But it sounds so humble, but it's not because what it leads to is this, is this life of drifting. It leads to a life of, well, if I, I, I can't do anything about it, so I'm waiting on God to do something in my life. Their favorite verse of scripture is, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. And they feel like if only the preacher preached better, if only my small group leader led better, if only my husband was a better spiritual leader in the house, or if only my wife was a, a more loving companion, if only my children would behave. I remember one time a teenager told me I could be a Christian if it wasn't for my parents. Huh? You know, I could be a good Christian if it was right. You know, what about the Christians who've been persecuted? What about the Christians who are, are beaten and suffer for, for their faith in Jesus Christ? They're the kind of people that they feel like I can't do anything, and so they never really try to mature in Jesus. And it's really just an excuse for laziness. And friends, understand this. The, the balance between the two of these, the balance between the two of these is love will always work for the good of the other. Laziness won't work for the good of anyone. Love will always work for the good of God and his kingdom. Love will always work for the good of my brother and sister in Christ, for my wife, for my children, for my neighbor. But laziness won't work for anyone, including myself. That's why the Bible says <clears throat> the slothful man will kill his game and let it rot on his porch while his porch sags, his roof leaks, and the briars grow up around it. He ends up in poverty because he's lazy. He won't work for his family. He won't work for himself, and he won't honor God, and he becomes a disgrace to his neighbors. And so the Bible says that there are seven things that God hates, and one of them is the slothful and the lazy person. But then there's a third kind of believer that I really want to focus on tonight, and that's what I've chosen to call spirit-filled believers. And all Christians are spirit-filled. All true followers of Jesus are spirit-filled. But this is another approach to life because we've all met those people that they're works-oriented. We've all met those people who don't do anything. They never try to mature. And here's the passage I really want you to take home and memorize tonight. I have preached from this passage several times over the years, but tonight I want to really talk to you for a few moments about it. It's what I talk to my children about. It's what I talk to Andrew and Dana about. It's what when they got married 10 years ago. It's what I talked to Chris and Rachel about when they met us a few weeks ago. And I wanted to really talk to them about living and having a spirit-filled home, having a spirit-filled marriage and living for Christ. Read this with me. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, 
so you can explain how people are born of the Spirit. Let's read that one more time. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can explain how people are born of the Spirit. Who said that? Jesus said that. This is Jesus talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking about how the Spirit of God works in our lives. You can hear the sound of the wind, but you can't control the wind. Oftentimes, I hear people on their advertisements about a wind power. They'll talk about, we've harnessed the power of the wind. And I think to myself, really? You've harnessed the power of the wind? Have you ever seen a tornado? Have you ever seen a hurricane? Your name is not Pecos Bill. You haven't harnessed that, lassoed that thing and rode it off into the wild blue yonder. None of us have harnessed the power of the wind. We can yield to the power of the wind. My brother-in-law, Philip, is an avid kite surfer. When they lived in Brazil for 10 years and they lived on the beach, he every day would walk out to the beach and he windsurfed. He learned how to read the waves. He learned how to read the water. He learned how to position his body. He learned how to set the sail to catch the wind. Because when you're a kite surfer, paddling won't do you any good. When you're a kite surfer, a motor won't do you any good. You have got to yield yourself completely to the wind because you're going to go the direction the wind is going to go. And if you're going to get anywhere and have any fun, then you've got to use and you've got to just cooperate with the wind. And the wind can either bring you to shore or the wind can take you out to sea. The wind can slam you down if you don't, if you don't cooperate with it or if you don't yield to the power of the wind, you'll never catch the power of the wind and go anywhere. And as I thought about Philip and all of his stories, and I have video after video after video of Philip kite surfing that he sent me, or he sent us some of his boys, if you remember Vincent, who lived with us for a year, of them kite surfing. And I've often thought about what an avid metaphor for the life and the spirit. Because you're not going anywhere in Christ unless you yield to the Spirit. You're not going anywhere in Christ unless you are positioned in Christ. You are not going anywhere in this life unless you learn to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. I want you to look at that and circle that word there in your outline, the word when right there. Because that's a really, really important word. Where is the wind of the Spirit blowing in your life tonight? What is God doing in your heart? What is God stirring in your dreams? I got a letter today from a lady who had been to our website and she took the time and I was so grateful for her taking the time. And she wrote, Dear Pastor Clanton, I've been on your website and I, when I read about the dream of Woodland Church, my heart was stirred and, and what it meant to her and how it moved her heart in life. And I thought that's the wind of the Holy Spirit beginning to work inside of her life as she read. I got a letter a few weeks ago from a mother writing about how they, she and her husband came to Christ here at Woodland and the change that God had made in their lives and what the Holy Spirit was doing in them. So my question to us as mature believers tonight is, where is the wind of God blowing in your life today? What is God doing inside of you? And, and, and look at this phrase and just kind of draw a box around this phrase. Draw a box around it, wherever it wants, wherever it wants. Because if I learn anything about Philip from kite surfing, you've got to cooperate with the wind wherever it's going. And you've got to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Billy Graham said, listen to this, everywhere I go, 
I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I read that book in the early 1980s that I just quoted to you from. I reread that book immediately after reading it, and I reread that book again because as I read what Billy Graham wrote in the 80s, and I remember being so concerned about the direction of our nation. As I was working on this message, I began to think, if that was true in the 1980s, how much more true is it today? What a different America that it is today. What a different church that it is today. And when I read those lines by Billy Graham, if you look in my old paperback copy that's falling apart, I wrote these lines, isn't every Christian filled with the Holy Spirit? And of course we are. We've been baptized in Christ. But friends, as we've been using one of my metaphors, we all leak like an old well bucket. That's why, as Paul says, we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, I've leaked a little bit this week. Have you? Those of you that aren't nodding your head, you know, we're not worthy to be in your presence tonight. <laughs> we all leak. We all need those fresh daily infillings of the Holy Spirit. I can't go on last year's experience. I can't go on last week's experience. I need fresh bread every day from the altars of God. I need the work of the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like to talk to you about tonight is, number one, I want to be consumed with a desire for God. I want my life to be totally consumed with Him. I remember, I remember well in 1975, six weeks after I began to date Becky, Six weeks after I began to take Becky, date Becky, we went on a picnic together. We went on this picnic at High Falls in Middle Georgia, beautiful rock waterfall. And we walked, walked along the waterfall. We had been seeing each other, dating each other. And I remember standing right there beside the waterfall and looking in her blue eyes. And I'm telling you, I was in love. <laughs> I hadn't told her. It would be months before I would told her. And I leaned over and just gave her the tiniest kiss that you could imagine. Matter of fact, it scared me when I kissed her. I, my head snapped back like I had been shocked with lightning. But I, I still remember that. It was delightful. It was wonderful. It was memorable. But can I tell you something? I wanted to kiss her again. I didn't, but I wanted to kiss her again. And I am so glad that 1975 wasn't our first kiss. And I am so glad that this afternoon won't be our last kiss either. I am consumed. Back there, Lowell's waving his hand, getting excited. Will you go ahead and kiss Olivia there beside you tonight, Lowell? I am consumed with this desire and this passion for Becky. I am consumed with the desire for God. I am so grateful that my last kiss was in 1975. And I'm so grateful that my last experience with the Holy Spirit wasn't last week. But I've had a fresh experience with Him even today in the sanctuary as we were praying. Can we give God a hand of praise tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Maybe this will help you understand. I'm going to read three verses from Psalms 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Do you find yourself just longing for more of him? Do you find yourself just wanting to worship him? Do you find yourself, sometimes when we sing that song in our prayer service on Saturday night, I will come and bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus, in your presence. There's fullness of joy. Look at verse five. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior in God. What's he saying? Somehow or another, when my mind gets off of God, when I, I let my mind begin to be consumed with the things of this world, the worries of this world, as Jesus said, they steal the very joy of the gospel. Or if I get consumed with trying to work harder to please God, I develop this smugness that chokes out love for God because then I become proud of my works. Or if I become complacent, then I don't serve God, then I don't serve anyone else because I don't love them. But when I remember God and I remember his touch and I go, there's no reason for me to be depressed. There's no reason for me to be defeated. There is a God that I serve that can heal me of depression, that can heal me of fear, that God that can set me free from addictive habits. There's a God that can break sinful patterns in my life. There's a God that can restore my marriage. There's a God that can restore me to my children when it seems there is no more hope for my family and I. Friends, there is nothing impossible with God. And the reason for all of those miracles, and John takes seven of them in the Gospel of John. John takes seven of those miracles. Remember, seven is the number of fullness, the number of God. He takes seven of those miracles to demonstrate to us not only that Christ is the Messiah, but nothing is impossible with God. And so he says, when I remember, I put my hope in God. And then in verse 8, he says, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. I hope you'll go home singing tonight. Fill us anew, we pray. Fill us anew, we pray. Consuming fire. Just ask God to come and give us a passion. I am praying and I am asking the Lord for a visitation, for an extension of the work of the kingdom of heaven, for a visitation of his spirit in our church like we have never known before and to bring us into an intimacy with God. I've started rereading Jonathan Edwards' religious affections. Jonathan Edwards had such an experience with God and preached such a powerful message, such a powerful season, and it was the beginning of what historians call the Great Awakening in the United States. But Jonathan Edwards in 1721, he wrote this in his journal that he was given such a deep revelation of the majesty and the meekness of Christ, he was swallowed up in God. I can't tell you how many times I've read that. He was swallowed up in God. And I remember my dad telling us the story of how one night he had such an encounter with the Holy Spirit that when he went to pray, he said, it's the last thing I remember. But for the next several hours, my mother and some others were just praying alongside of him. And my dad has no memory of anything, but those were the very words he used. And to my knowledge, he never read a book by Jonathan Edwards. When I asked him, I said, Dad, what was it like? Were you, were you unconscious? Were you out of your, you know, were, what was it like? He said, it wasn't that I was unconscious. He says, but 
All I can remember is for the first time in my life, I felt completely swallowed up in the love of God. Friends, I'm telling you, there's more to this life than what we've experienced. We don't have to live on stale bread. We don't have to live on shucks. We can live on the living presence of Christ tonight. Amen? Number two tonight, I want to live in the light of all I've received. I want to live, and I'm writing these for you as faith decorations. You know, this is where I'm at. I, I want to live in the light of all I've received. You know, in Christ, we've received everything. That's what the Bible tells us. In Christ, we've received everything. And I think what Dr. Graham was writing about, what Billy Graham was writing about in his book, In the Holy Spirit, and I think what I've seen so many times in the lives of Christians is simply this. They've received everything in Christ, but they're not living and enjoying what they've received in Christ. They're not enjoying the benefit. They don't know what they have in Christ. They don't know what their possession is in Christ. They don't know what Christ has accomplished for them at Calvary. Listen, last Sunday a week ago, I told you, don't look at that cross and feel sorry for Jesus. That's not what he wants for you. When I was talking about commitment, Christ was committed to God. Christ was committed to you. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the agonies of the cross, that he was scourged, that he was beaten, that the crown of thorns was put upon his head, and he was nailed to the cross. He was put there for the joy of your being set in a right place with God so that you could receive all that Christ has for you. Christ is more than your companion. Christ is your advocate. As I explained in the first part of this series as I was preaching, is that the advocate is someone that speaks to God in your behalf. He, he pleads for your behalf. Look at what Jesus says in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Circle that word, leads. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you. Circle that word, with. He lives with you now and later will be in you. Circle that word, in. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not just with you. It's nice to know he's with me. It's nice to know he's with me. But there must be something more. There must be something more. Because Jesus says he is with you now. But later, he will be in you. And when Jonathan Edwards would write about religious affections and religious, what he called enthusiasm, he was answering the questions of those dead New England believers who thought that somehow or another that nobody was ever supposed to be happy or nobody was ever supposed to be joyful or nobody was ever supposed to be happy in Jesus. I grew up singing songs to be happy in Jesus. There is a joy that comes from living in Christ. And Edwards wrote, that comes when the Holy Spirit lives in you. You see, the mark of a Christian when he's spirit-filled or she's spirit-filled is they're also filled with joy. The mark of a spirit-filled Christian is he's more like Tigger than he is like Eeyore. Okay? 
He's bouncy. He's joyful. Life is wonderful. He's not walking around all the time thinking nobody loves him because he knows if God loves him, then the church also loves him. And sometimes that's what I tell some of the most unloving people in the world. You know, you don't really manifest love to other people, but here's what I want you to know. Not only does God love you, but this church loves you as well. We won't love you more when you get lovable. We may like you more, but we won't love you more. Does that make sense? There are a lot of people I love I really don't like. There are a lot of people I love I really don't like to hang around with. But I love them. I really do. But, I mean, if you're acting like a jerk, it's hard to like you, right? I mean, if your husband is acting like a jerk, it's hard to love like him. Sometimes it's hard to love. If you're, if you're a teenager when he's acting like a jerk, it's hard to love them. I mean, to like them but you still love them. And there's not a thing in the world you wouldn't do for them. And how many of you know we all act like jerks sometimes? Even your pastor acts like a jerk a lot of times. But you're loved. And it's the love of God that transforms us. It's the love of the church. But notice, there's a third word up there I ask you to serve. He is the Holy Spirit who leads. Barb, I need to expect a day. I didn't mean to scare you there, sister. I need to expect a daily encounter with the Holy Spirit because he's not only with me, he's in me and he leads me. I can count on the direction of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. That's important to know. As I plan my day, as I pray over my day, Lord, order my footsteps. Lord, lead me and guide me. Those aren't just words. I anticipate that. I love, love Siri and Apple Maps on my iPhone. Turn right. Turn left 300 feet ahead. Turn left now, sometimes she says. I told you the other day how I... Somebody cut me off in traffic, and I said, you big jerk. And Siri just said right into my earpiece, that wasn't very nice, Dennis. <laughs> I mean, that was good for me to hear that. I can't say I've really changed yet, but it's good for me to hear that. You see, the Holy Spirit is with us, and he leads us, and he guides us. You can expect the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 John 1, 7. John, as he's writing to the church later, he says, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I am clean. I am clean before my Lord and in me not one blemish does he find. Becky and I are driving back from New Hampshire we're coming down a mountain, and I started singing an old song. I don't know why it came to mind, but it was by uh, an artist called Honey Tree that was very popular back in the 70s and the early 80s. And so I Googled the song and bought it up on my phone, and we ran it through the car stereo. Clean before my Lord, I freely stand, and in with me not blemished does he find. And I remember, we remembered as young people sitting at a, at a Jesus meeting in Orlando, Florida, listening to Honey Tree tell her story. We remembered the little girl behind us. Her name was Teresa. She's an RN today, and she had lived a really, really 
party lifestyle and just never really felt clean because of the life and the relationships and the decisions she had made. But as Honey Tree began to sing that song, Teresa began to cry. She began to weep. And soon Becky had her arms around her. She said, for the first time, I feel clean. I am clean. And today, she is still a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, working at a major hospital in Columbus, Georgia. My dear friends tonight, hear me tonight. You are clean in the sight of Jesus because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, now notice, here's a good test that you know that you're clean because anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light. And how do we know you love? You serve God and you serve others. The I'm not worthy Christians, they just, they stop maturing, they stop growing. The works-oriented Christians, they're smug, they're always, they're like the Pharisees. They crucified perfect love when it came along because they were more proud of their spiritual pride than they recognized the love of Jesus. So anyone who loves a fellow believer, doesn't say a nice believer, right? He says anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and doesn't cause others to stumble. Now this next passage could be a little confusing, but there's only one phrase I want to emphasize out of this tonight before we pray. I'm going to read it, and I'll be happy to talk to anybody about it, wants to talk about it later, but there's only one phrase I want to, to bring out of this tonight. It is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. That's not saying the backslider can't be healed, but there's a, another whole long, you, you really need to be familiar with the book of Hebrews and the Old Testament to get this passage. But here's the phrase I want you to get who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. The power of the age to come. The power of the age to come. I want you to circle that in your outline tonight. The power of the age to come. You see, when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're in His Word. You're tasting daily. You're, you're eating fresh bread. You're eating fresh manna. You're reading your Bible every day. You're asking God to speak to you. You're asking the Lord to minister to you. You're tasting the goodness of the Word of God, but you're also tasting the power of the age to come. I'm telling you, friends, heaven gets more and more precious to me because I have developed a taste for the things to come. I've developed a taste for the things to come. I used to not like asparagus, but I never had asparagus cooked right. It was always gray and wilted and nasty tasting. Somebody cooked asparagus right for Becky and I, and we go, this is really good. Now, I eat asparagus at least once a week, twice a week if I can get it. I used to hate, you've heard me say this from the pulpit, I hated, the only thing I told you I would not eat is Brussels sprouts. Oh, and then one night I took Becky out for our anniversary, and the chef comes to our table and says, I understand you don't want our special tonight. I goes, oh, I hate Brussels sprouts. He goes, you'll love my Brussels sprouts. He says, no, I won't. He goes, you'll love my Brussels sprouts. I'm going to bring you some of my Brussels sprouts. 
I had to apologize. I had never had Brussels sprouts like they. Of course, if you put bacon and maple syrup, it'll make anything taste good. <laughs> and he gave us his Brussels sprouts that night. You hear? Know, I I could go on with the things that I've learned to love. Raw oysters, they're wonderful. But you've got to develop a taste for them. You see. As long as you keep tasting the fast food, the junk food of this world, you develop a taste for it. As long as you feed on more and more of what the world has to offer, more and more of what Hollywood has to offer, more and more what the news has, the more you feed upon, you you find it never satisfies you. You find maybe you're getting bigger, but you're not getting healthier. You find maybe you're you're getting short bursts of energy, but you have no stamina. You find that you have no real joy because you're feeding upon the junk food of this world. But when you taste the living word of God, suddenly you begin get a a taste for the power of the age to come. And friends, we don't have to wait to taste of heaven till we get to heaven. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can have a taste of heaven right down here tonight. Somebody say praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's why it's good to come. You see, when I meet people who no longer want to grow in Christ, I know there's something wrong. When I see a couple that's drifting apart, I know that marriage is not maturing. Becky and I were asked at the wedding this weekend by certain people about our marriage and our love for each other. We saw friends we haven't seen in years coming up and says, thank you, you've always modeled. And it's real, it's genuine. I'm not just saying that, it's just real, it's genuine. You've always modeled something we've aspired to Thank you. But you see, when I meet couples who don't really love each other and they're not growing, I know that marriage is stopped. There's something wrong when a bird doesn't want to fly. There's something wrong when a boy doesn't want to grow. There's something wrong when a Christian doesn't want to soar and taste the goodness of the things of God. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you want more and more and more of Jesus. And you're never going to exhaust the goodness of God in this life. Somebody say amen tonight. You see... This world keeps talking about wanting more in a consumeristic way. There's not really anything in a consumeristic way that I covet. Maybe a Mustang from time to time, but I really want more of the Holy Spirit. I want Him to have more of me. And then finally, and I've got to stop here, I want the mountaintop and the mundane experience of God. Mark, I don't see Becky, so if you'll come on up. I want us to come to the altar tonight. So, Pastor, what do you mean, mountaintop and mundane? I had a mountaintop experience in here today. I'm telling you, I just, some reason or another, it was a rough start to the morning. You ever have those kind of days when you have a rough start? Rough start to the morning, and things happened that wasn't supposed to happen. Unexpected things happened this morning, and And I sat down for just a few minutes and I laid my head back and I thought, okay, Lord, I'm preaching on this tonight. So is this going to be a good day or is this going to be a bad day? As I just committed it to the Lord, 
what the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. God turned for good. I got here to the office and I'm in my office and I just kept feeling, go to the sanctuary, go to the sanctuary. I thought, well, we're going to be in there at 11. You know that time you've just, you're almost driven by the Holy Spirit. Go to the sanctuary. And man, there was this mountaintop experience with God. And I love those times. But you see, the mundane experience of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. Because in the mundane, love continues to serve. In the mundane, love continues to forgive. In the mundane, love remembers no evil. In the mundane, love is patient. In the mundane, love is kind. In the mundane, that's where we live. We can't live on the mountaintop. But in that mundane, what I experienced on the mountaintop this morning, I know is going to be in the mundane down in the valley as well. Because he's not only with me, he's in me, and he's going to lead me. And sometimes, instead of fretting, you just need to sit down for a moment, and you're in a public place, and you lean your head back, and you close your eyes, oblivious to everyone else in an airport, and you go, okay, God, is it going to be a good day, or is it going to be a bad day? Get it? with you he's in you and he guides you <laughs> consuming fire consume if you let him just consume you you've got the verses so let me just quickly go through the growth work how do you do this number one you you yield completely to God I want to live a totally yielded life to the Holy Spirit I, I just want to take a moment and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Would you underline that there in 2 Corinthians? It's in your outline, 13, 14. The fellowship of the Holy I love fellowshipping with you, Mark. I mean, Pastor Rick. Bob, I love meeting you at Starbucks and fellowship. I love it when you fry walleye. And I come to your house and Carrie's got salads. And your small group is there, and I fellowship with Vic and Darlene and Webb and Carrie. And I sin boldly that night because that's the only time of the year I get walleye. Bob gives me some in the garage for y'all get a hold of it. I get the best piece. That's the tithe. <laughs> but I love the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And you can have just as sweet a fellowship with him as you have. I can have just as sweet a fellowship with him as I have with Becky. So yield to him. Number two, engage with the Bible and embrace a life of prayer daily. Engage with it, but don't just read it, but ask questions. Apply it to your life. Write down a sentence of application. How are you going to apply it? If there's a promise, write, your, write the date in your Bible beside that promise or in your Bible app and, and just begin to pray that promise into your life. Say, God, you promised this. I'm standing on this promise. Embrace a life of prayer, not just once a day. It's not how long you pray. It's living a life of prayer. 
they meant well but it's not right to be checking off the minutes it's just walk with him daily in prayer number three I want to make a suggestion to you you don't have to do this but fast breakfast and lunch once a week just one time a week fast breakfast and lunch and if you're diabetic and you can't do this God understands but take your breakfast meal and spend time just in worship Take your lunch meal and maybe take the prayer bulletin from our Saturday night prayer service and pray over the prayer request. Pray for me. But one day a week, fast two meals a day. So pastor, you do this every week. Every week, I fast 24 hours every week. And it's become a joy. It's not a sacrifice. It's become a way of saying, God, I need you more than I need food. I need you more than I need a dessert. And there are times when it's extra, extra special, and then there's times that it's just mundane, but I'm going to fast anyway. Does that make sense? So I would just say, fast breakfast and try it. Number four, worship with your church family weekly. Worship. We got to break this habit of once a month worship, twice a month worship. If you're on the road, go to church somewhere. If you're on vacation, go to, not church on a couch. Are you hearing me? Not church on a couch. The only reason you should have church on a couch is because you are sick. And then you call for Pastor Rick and he's going to come pray for you. And you're either going to get well or go to heaven what? <laughs> you're going to get well. Would you come to the altar with me tonight? Let's just take a few minutes. Let's just gather around. Becky, lead us in that course. Consuming fire. Put the words up. Consuming fire, fed into flame, a passion for your name, Spirit of God, fall in this place. to just sing come like a rushing wind softly where's the wind of God blowing in your heart tonight if you say pastor it just really doesn't feel like God's doing anything in my heart tonight then ask yourself this question what would it look like if the Holy Spirit was to fall in your life you again and consume you what would it look like the Holy Spirit was not only with you in you but was guiding you into such a life of loving service to him and to others what would it look like tonight 
for him the way a deer pants for the water. I want you to begin just to picture that. Hallelujah. What would it look like if a marriage was revived and restored? What would it look like if you could love the unlovable? You might not like the way they live. There's nothing wrong with that. But you suddenly you begin to love them and you begin to talk to Jesus about them. What would it look like if your kids were whole and restored and your presence in their lives was a healing presence? Oh, church, I want Woodland to be the kind of church where God can just move in and have His way among us and where lost people walk in and as we said two weeks ago, they go, surely the Spirit of God is in this place. The Spirit of God is in this place. Hallelujah. So would you yield to Him tonight? He may just deal with you about something where you need to yield to Him again. Sometimes living sacrifices have a way of crawling off the altar and we have to get back on there and say, God, I want to be a living sacrifice for you. Hallelujah. What would it look like if you just took not how many chapters a day, but just read a scripture portion every day. Maybe you start with the little devotional booklet that we give out here. And you read that passage and you meditate on that little devotional thought and then you make it your prayer. But you see, you'll develop a taste for the Word of God. Soon you'll want to do more than read a book about the Bible. You'll just want to begin to read the Bible because it will become delicious to you. No book will ever satisfy you the way the Bible does. Hallelujah. God, give us a hunger for the Word of God. Give us a hunger for the Word of God. Give us an eagerness for the Word. Graham said, if I had my life and ministry to do over again, I'd read more of the Bible and less about the Bible. Jesus. And what would it look like if you just engaged with God daily? I talk with Becky every day. I'll call her several times a day. I'll I'll call Pastor Rick almost every day and I'll talk to Pastor Rick. I'll call John Anna. I call you sometime and you'll know, you know this is true. Rick will tell you this is true. Bob will tell you this is true. Tim will tell you this is true. My children will tell I never hang up without saying I love you or I love you much because I want you to know you're loved. And it's not a habit, it's... It's my heart. God loves you. He wants to talk to you. 
Oh God, would you let us capture this tonight? You love us, you love us, you love us. Consuming fire. What would it look like tonight if one day a week you could fast two meals a day? You took that breakfast time and you just, you really didn't pray, you just worshiped. Maybe you turn on some worship music and you just kneel and lift your hands to the Lord. If it takes you five minutes to eat breakfast, you spend that five minutes in worship. take that lunch time and instead of eating that tuna fish sandwich you just slip to the break room or out to your truck you sit there in the presence of the Lord and you pray for other people hallelujah oh, friends I sense something breaking right now in the spirit if God's people just embrace his word if God's people just take every single day live a life of prayer what a difference it would make when we come to worship on Sunday ask you to fall in this place in a fresh way upon us. God, that 120 that met on the day of Pentecost, the Bible records that they were in one accord. They were one mind, one spirit. Church, that word accord really means passion, not sexual passion, but what we mean is passionate followers of Christ. It's, it's another way of saying passion. They were passionate about Christ. They were passionate about being together with each other. The Lord came like a mighty, mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire set upon them. They began to speak in languages they had not learned the mighty things of God and all of Jerusalem heard it. <laughs> I'm asking you, Lord, come and have your way among us. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Can we give him one more hand of praise tonight? Hallelujah. than anything for this church to meet with the heartbeat of God and you know what that means that whatever God is doing that's what we're doing that's the heartbeat of God Valentine's you read these really mushy cards these sappy cards Becky told me I was being sappy the other night I was telling her how much I loved her she said you're being so sappy and they'll say things like my heart beats for you. My heart, you're just in my heart. If our church heart beats for God, we'll be doing what God wants us to do. Amen?
the Lord bless you the Lord keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and the Lord pour out his Holy Spirit without measure upon us in Jesus name amen God bless you